He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Hello everyone, I'm Toby. So good to uh, be with you live as we continue on in week two of our Parables uh, series. Uh, Rather unusually, I'm going to start off by showing you a video. It's a video of myself and my uh, son, Zachary. Now, if you've been following us as a church over the last number of months, you will see that we have produced some uh, spectacular creative content. Uh, So I reached out to the communications department and asked if they wouldn't mind uh, producing a video for me, and they were very happy to oblige. And not only were they happy to oblige, they actually said that they would supply it with a budget, which I was thrilled with. Now, just as a spoiler, it's uh, a magic trick that I did for Zachary, and it's pretty spectacular. In fact, I showed one person the video, and they said, and I quote, it is the best magic trick they had ever seen in their life. Quite frankly, I think it's a fair comment. So here it is, what some are calling the best magic trick in the world. Oh, I'm with a minor, home with a mind, home with a mighty, home with a mind, home with a money, who's moon are you? This is the greatest show. Where did he go? Have you ever had your hopes built up only to have them come crashing down? Uh, Kind of like I did just then. What I find funny about that video is uh, Zachary, not only is he not overly impressed by my disappearing act, um, but if you look closely at the end, he's actually, well, he's concerned for my welfare. (laughs) But what is it for you? Where have you experienced disappointment? I would have thought by now I'd be used to disappointment. What? With being an Arsenal fan. Most people support their clubs through thick and thin. I have to support mine through thin and thin. But where else have you experienced disappointment? What is it for you? Have you ever gone on the I-360 at night? Spectacular views of your own reflection. Or how about this one? Have you ever, have you ever gone out on a night out and at the end of the night, you got a kebab. Okay, well, of course you have. It's the law. Now, once you've got your kebab, on the night out, it tastes amazing, doesn't it? But the next morning, if you've got anything left over, you have a little taste. And the one word that comes to mind is always anticlimax. You think, what was I thinking last night? But the reality with disappointment is it kind of is, operates on a sliding scale. You get kind of the more trivial, kind of like what I've been talking about, but it can go right up to the disappointment that can be quite sort of bitter. Perhaps this year has been the year of anticlimax for you. Maybe you've had festivals, family trips, holidays planned, weddings even. The events of the last few months have put paid to that. Well, 
it is tough. I get it. It is really, really tough. And the disciples of Jesus, they can kind of sympathize with us in the year that we've had. Uh, because the disciples of Jesus experienced a lot of disappointment themselves. You see, the people of Israel, they were looking for their Messiah. Uh, that means saviour, leader. Uh, they were looking for the one who was spoken about through the sacred pages of the Old Testament. The one that would come and liberate Israel from her national enemies. The one that would deliver them from their Roman occupation. The one that would come and, and inaugurate the kingdom of God. And they would have grown up with psalms, famous psalms, like Psalm 72, which in verse 8 says, with reference to the Messiah, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from, river, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. They would have grown up with psalms like Psalm 2, which in verse 8, with reference to the Messiah, says this, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Well, well, they got him. The one who for centuries was concealed but would now finally be revealed. A man mighty in word and deed, dripping with the power of God, wielding kingdom authority. Jesus of Nazareth, God's very own son, the Messiah thing is that Jesus though he wasn't getting with the program and in this was the disciple disappointment uh, see they were looking for a messiah that would at the click of his fingers uh, destroy really all of the national enemies of Israel uh, Jesus wouldn't do that I mean where was the fire from heaven uh, I mean that literally because in Luke chapter 9 when Jesus is rejected by a town uh, his disciples, specifically uh, James and John, say this to Jesus. They say, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Uh, Jesus' response to this, whoa, fire, guys, fire? That's what it says in the Greek. But that's... Truly, he says in verse 55, he turned and rebuked them. He told them off. Jesus must have turned and thought, I don't really remember recruiting stormtroopers as my disciples. So what's going on here? Did, did, did disciples get it wrong about Jesus? Were they just completely misplaced about what the Old Testament said? Well, not necessarily. Because the Old Testament does contain some wonderful pro promises and predictions about this strong leader, Messiah. But it also contains many words about other qualities of the Messiah. Uh, qualities that perhaps weren't so much in the forefront of the disciples' minds. Qualities like his great compassion. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. Isaiah 42, verse 3. Which means Jesus would be the kind of king who would use his, his kingdom authority to dispense freedom, forgiveness, favour. He would even wash feet. Wash the feet of the disciples that were so utterly confused. And in so doing, he would inaugurate a kingdom with unique features. 
a kingdom that ultimately would never end up in anticlimax, a kingdom that ultimately would never disappoint, but a kingdom that wouldn't look like the disciples hoped it would, at least not in the beginning. And to help his disciples through this disappointment and help them to understand more about the ways of this kingdom, he told them parables, two of which we've had read for us already. The parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. Now, the parable of the mustard seed, the first parable Jesus tells, is more in relation to the external measure of the kingdom. Whereas the parable of the leaven is more talking about the internal method of the kingdom. So let's look at the mustard seed first. It says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And a mustard seed is between one and two millimeters in length. Uh, to put this in language that I like, uh, it's a quarter of the size of a sesame seed on a burger bun. It's very, very small. But although the mustard seed starts uh, at up to two millimeters in length, it can grow to upwards of 20 feet high and 20 feet wide. To put that in context, that's over six meters high and six meters wide. That's roughly the same size as an adult giraffe and three quarters of the length of a London bus. Jesus is saying the kingdom is like that. It starts off tiny but ends up towering. It starts off meager but ends up mighty. It starts off delicate but ends up dominant. But it always starts off small. Small, small like a baby born in a manger, a feeding trough, born to a teenage girl, surrounded by animals, coming from a nowhere town like Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Growing from one, one baby, one, one man, to 12 disciples. From 12 disciples to a company of 120, as it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. Growing from a company of 120 to one chapter later, 3,000 being added in one day. Growing from 3,000 added in one day to an estimated 600 million Christians in 1910 from an estimated 600 million Christians in 1910 to an estimated 2.5 billion Christians in 2019. Source, the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon Cromwell Theological Seminary. From, from 2.5 billion Christians in 2019 to an end time cosmic scene depicted in Revelation chapter seven, verse nine, where John saw a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, they stood before the throne and before Jesus, who is the Lamb. Friends, this is the way all history is going. And history itself demonstrates that Jesus' prophetic parable has proven accurate. This is really, that's the story of the, the church from tiny to towering. To use language that the apostle Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15, he puts it like this, and this is a paraphrase. He says, sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. True for the body, true for the body of Christ. 
So what does it look like to sow in weakness? What, what does it look like to, 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 to plant a mustard seed in the soil? What does the kingdom look like? Well, the reality is the kingdom is not any necessarily one thing. It's hard to define it in just one way. It's a variety of things, the kingdom of God. But one way it definitely is, is the planting of churches. And we as a church, we have been involved in that for a number of years now, planting churches across Europe. And so what does it look like to, as Paul puts it, sow in weakness? It looks like a husband and wife taking their four daughters, selling up in Fishersgate down the road and traveling to plant a church in Amsterdam, of all places. It looks like friends planting in Ottawa. It looks like friends just recently touching down in, in, in Belfast. It looks like a husband and wife leaving major responsibility in Brighton and going to take the lead in a church going through a difficult season in Berlin. It looks like friends going to Krakow in Poland to plant a church. No fire from heaven, only seeds three quarters of the size of a sesame seed planted in the ground, trusting God to raise up for himself a mighty tree, a mustard bush, a church. And you may say, well, hang on a second, Toby, planting churches through Europe. Surely you've seen the statistics on church in Europe. Surely you've seen the, the charts and the graphs. It's, it's in decline, right? It's, it's buried. Yeah, it's buried. Buried like a mustard seed in the ground that grows up to become the largest of all the garden plants. It's buried like that. What does this mean? What does this mean? Well, it means, friends, don't give up on the church. Don't give up on the church. Don't mock it. The reality is that the church has stood the test of time. Treat the church with the same care as you would the smallest of seeds and marvel at it as you would the tallest of trees. And look, I know, you know, you know, right? The church isn't perfect. Of course it's not. Of course it's not. If it were perfect, my friend, you wouldn't be allowed in it. And if you weren't allowed in it, I, well, I wouldn't be allowed anywhere near it. But praise God, he invites through Jesus failures, people that have messed up, to come and join the church, to come and help establish this tree, to come and help plant seeds for God. Let me encourage you to come and get to know people and start to play your part in the planting and the establishing of the tree. And you may say, well, Toby, if I were to do that, my contribution would be very small. It'd like basically be insignificant. It'd be minuscule. Minuscule like a mustard seed because you now know what God is able to do with mustard seeds. But Jesus, he doesn't just talk about the tree. He speaks kind of strange. He moves on from the tree, and then he starts talking about birds. You think, well, what are you talking about, Jesus? He says this in verse 32. The birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. What's he talking about here? 
Uh, well, the plant represents the kingdom of God. The plant represents the kingdom. And therefore, the birds, the birds are not, they don't derive their life from the vine, nor are they branches of the vine. They're, they're separate, they're different. Yet the birds enjoy the benefits of the tree being there. Absolutely. What Jesus is saying here is that people who are not part of the kingdom will benefit from Christianity. Jesus is saying that societies will benefit from the contributions of men and women passionate about the truths of this book and the thought that they provoke and the initiatives that they start. I'll give you an example. Scientific thought. A scientific thought was really birthed from Jewish and Christian thinking, uh, Judeo-Christian thinking. You see, Judeo-Christian thinking said that there is one God, and this one God is an intelligent and rational being. And why can't humanity, who this book says are made in the image of this God, employ rational strategies to understand and test and observe and investigate the world in which he created? to learn the laws and the principles because he's a rational and logical God. And therefore, scientific thought was born. A time would fail me to talk about medicine as we know it, education as we know it, the black civil rights movement of the 1960s, women's rights, children's rights, care for the elderly, care for the disabled, care for the sick, care for the unwell. Very different from Darwinian thinking. Time would fail me to talk about the right to a fair trial, the European, the European Convention of Human Rights, the Human Rights Act. All of these are wonderful branches that Christianity has contributed to society and societies that we have enjoyed and the world has enjoyed. And Jesus says that that's a good thing. We, we want more of this. We, we want more of this. We certainly do. And, and to be fair, there is so much more that could be said on that. Uh, but I'll point you to a book that I found helpful, How Christianity Changed the World by Dr. Dr. Alvin J. Schmidt. That might be a good place to start. But Jesus moves on from the external measure of the kingdom to the internal method of the kingdom with the parable of the leaven. And he says this, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid three measures of flour in, Till it was all leavened. So what is leaven? I don't suppose we'd all know what leaven is. What, what leaven is, is a substance that's put into flour to make the, the dough rise. And only a little bit of leaven is actually needed to make the whole thing rise. And if you know your Bible sort of fairly well, you would have read that sometimes leaven is spoken about negatively. Uh, kind of God requires his people to remove leaven from bread in the Old Testament. The thing is, Jesus isn't using leaven in a negative uh, way here, actually. That the thing with leaven is not so much about evil, it's more about influence. Because leaven uh, permeates and, 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 and uh, progresses through the dough until the whole dough is raised, all of the flour is raised. What does this mean? Well, it means that only a little bit is necessary to change a lot. And Jesus is telling this parable to, again, help his disciples in their misconceptions of the kingdom. 
in them, them thinking that ultimately the kingdom was going to be an external kingdom that kind of transforms inward. So working from outside in, Jesus would say, no, actually the kingdom is the opposite. The kingdom works from inside out. And this is good news. This is good news for us. Because perhaps, perhaps you're here and you have, um, uh, perhaps you're not yet a Christian and you've prayed once or twice and, and it's not happened. Believe you me, I can, I can sympathize with you. I've prayed for things and I haven't seen answers just yet and it can be so frustrating. Yeah, I'll give you that. But, or perhaps you're a Christian that has prayed for years and years for someone or something and you've not seen any change. Well, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven works internally. It works on the inside. The workings of the kingdom are often hidden like leaven in dough. You, you can't see what's going on, but there is a mighty and complete work going on. So let me encourage you, pray again, try again. And if you've prayed, I tell you, don't stop. Do not stop. God may well be doing a mighty work from the inside out. Again, Jesus tells these parables to help his disciples with their misconceptions. But we do well to kind of address the disciples' misconceptions. Why did Jesus, the Messiah, why did he not make the enemies of God lick the dust? Why did he not dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel? What's going on? Did disciples just get it wrong? Let me say this. It's an important question. Jesus came first to inaugurate the kingdom of God. And Jesus will come again in his second coming and he will come to consummate the kingdom of God. He will come to wrap it up. He will come to bring it to its full fruition. And in his return, Jesus will fulfill all of the words spoken about him as Messiah. And he will come on the clouds and he will execute justice on behalf of his father. Justice so stunning, it would make your jaw drop. But Jesus didn't first come to make his enemies lick the dust. Jesus first came for those who already are licking the dust under the weight of guilt, shame, and sin. Jesus didn't come to dash his enemies to pieces the first time. He, he came for those who are already broken and dashed to pieces. In my preparation uh, for this, um, I prayed and I felt God give me a couple of things for some people. Um, and the first is perhaps you're watching this and you are not yet a Christian and you, um, you believe uh, you believe that there's a God. You definitely believe there's a God, but it's kind of like, and you believe that Jesus might be the way to God, and you actually think, yeah, actually, I think there's something to Jesus. But the thing that's stopping you is this, this kind of one phrase, and that, that phrase is, I wouldn't be a good Christian. I, I wouldn't be a good Christian, and that's hindering you, even though that you're, you're, you're struggling with life and there's a heavy weight on you. And, and a second category of, of people, I felt um, from God that um, perhaps you're a Christian and you're watching this, but you are struggling with guilt 
just like a, a level of guilt, just a constant level of guilt before God. And the word I got specifically was tinnitus. Uh, not literally like literal the condition tinnitus, but like a guilt tinnitus. That is just a level of of guilt that you experience all day, and it's just it's just um, it's hindering you. And the the phrase I got similarly for you is, and if this is you, you'll know this. It's um, I am not a good Christian. I am not a good Christian, and that kind of is kind of a refrain that keeps playing in your head. What what? Let me say this. Jesus carried the cross, a wooden cross, a heavy cross. And that cross represents sin. And Jesus carried that cross on his back. And it says, as Jesus carried the cross up the hill, that he he stumbled and he fell under the weight of it. Jesus didn't come to make you lick the dust. Jesus came himself to lick the dust. Jesus didn't come to dash you to pieces. That's not what he does. Jesus came himself to be dashed to pieces for you. In his suffering and his crucifixion. And in so doing, Jesus would become the mustard seed of his own parable. Jesus Christ, son of God, was the mustard seed that died placed into the ground like a seed he was taken down from the cross he was buried in the ground in a tomb surrounded by darkness saying unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit fruit like a great multitude that no one can number Jesus would be raised from the dead on the third day, providing forgiveness for all of those who have put their faith in Jesus, that have given their life to him, which means you this morning can be forgiven. You can be forgiven of your sins past, your sins present, even your sins future. That means sins that you've not even got to yet. Jesus is waiting to forgive you. Such is the power of his death and resurrection and his great love for you. You may say, well, okay, that sounds, that sounds good, but, but I, I sin. I struggle for faith as well. I, I, sometimes I think I believe. Sometimes I feel like I don't believe. And some, but sometimes I, kind of, and I mess up and I do stuff that I'm kind of ashamed of. And I, How much faith do I need? Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, he says, Truly I say to you, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here, and it will move. There's that seed again. What does this mean? Faith like a grain of mustard seed. It means it's okay. It's okay. It's okay for your faith to start off small. Remember, the kingdom often starts off small. That's why it's small in you. It was small in me when I first became a Christian. A ray of light, the size of a mustard seed, shone into my heart. And God's grown it ever since. It's 
So it's okay. It's okay for your faith to start off small. Jesus has compassion on things that start off small. Remember, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Have you ever felt bruised? Have you ever felt like a wick that's flickering, it's about to just go out, can't take anymore? Jesus is there with his compassion. So let me close by saying this. Can you have faith like a mustard seed? Can you have faith between one and two millimetres in what Jesus has done? Can you have that one millimetre of faith in Jesus? If you feel that welling up, if you feel that you may have that, Jesus is ready and waiting right now to forgive you for everything you've ever done and accept you into his family right now. If that's you and you've got faith like a mustard seed for Jesus, let me lead you in a prayer. As prayers to accept Jesus into your life. Pray after me. Pray in your pray out loud if you can. Just just pray out loud. Say this, Father God, I'm sorry for ignoring you and your son Jesus. I ask you to come into my life. I accept what Jesus did on the cross, and I accept he rose again. I ask you to come into my life in power. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me follow you. Would you grow my faith so that it becomes large like the mustard bush? And would you help me see you and follow you in joy all the days of my life? In the name of Jesus, amen.